Hello. Good evening. <laughs> Good day. Good morning. Welcome to X to the Zennial. Hey, I mixed it up for you. You did, and I appreciate that. Did it freak you out a little though? No, oh. I was really kind of low-key hoping. It, it, it made me feel weird. My stomach doesn't feel right. Can we do our intro again? No. <laughs> no. All right. All right. Um, so let's quick check up. Yes. Um, holiday was interesting for both of us. Yeah, had a really fun offbeat, very different Thanksgiving. Non-traditional? Totally not traditional at all. Which is awesome. Not in my wheelhouse of tradition, and it was a blast, and it was great. There you go. And now you know that it takes three and a half hours to cook a ham. Now I know. That's fair. Now I know. Okay. Uh, I was sick AF, and uh, I think I, I told you I, I wasn't wearing my, um, my Galaxy Fit, but I took 143 steps that whole fucking day. Jeez Louise. From my bed, to the couch, to my bed, done. And she's um, done. I fell asleep at 6.45, um, but I feel a ton better, had strep again, not sure how that happened, um, but I feel better again, so fingers crossed, that stays this, the case. Let's just say good health, good health, good health to everyone and to all. Yes, Let's absolutely. Let's just try to finish the year out really strong. Yes, we are Physically, in December. Mentally. Dude. Yeah. How about air? That's insane. We got here real quick. It was like March, April, quarantine, December. Yeah. In that order. In that order. I don't know what happened to November, to be honest. October? Yeah, I kind of remember that. And that seemed a little long, right? October seemed a little, at least appropriate size. August was a little bit longer month because I went back to work. Fair. For the school, so it's kind of intense, heavy. Yeah. So that, but yeah, no, I don't know where November went. Maybe, maybe November was fun sized. <laughs> it's like a fun size November. I could go with like that. I want to go with that. Of November. <laughs> well, here we are, December 2nd. 1st. 1st. 2nd. <laughs> me. It's December 1st. If you're listening to this any other time, we are, have all decided that we are tired and yes. words are hard. Words are hard. We're n I'm not going to be the most articulate person. I'm going to use a lot of not good words like that. I mean fair. <laughs> so if you're used to anything else, this will be different than that. This is going to be a little off-brand today. Yes. Uh, but we have a great guest. We do. So An off-brand guest. Welcome, Aaron. Hi. How are you this evening? I'm doing well. Awesome. How's your articulation this evening? You know, uh, it's not the best, but I'll, I'll try my best. Awesome. That was already a bad start. <laughs> so what I'm hearing is best, you're going to try it. Yep. Fair. Exactly. Awesome. Love it. Um, so tell me a little bit about Aaron, what, what you do and, and why you're here. Yeah. So I guess the reason why I'm here, uh, Kat reached out to me and wanted uh, me to explain kind of my experience working with folks who were transitioning uh, from being incarcerated to the community. So what is your job title or what do you, what do you, what do you do? Yeah, so I used to supervise a team uh, that was uh, working with folks who were at high risk to recidivate. So a okay. group of case managers and I would do case management as well for gotcha. these folks as well. How long did you do that? Uh, three years. Yeah. Yeah, and now I am uh, focusing on school and finishing up my master's degree in uh, community administration, mental health, and wellness. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you're kind of springboarded from that job into maybe a larger um, situation. You got it. Exactly. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Um, okay, so. So tell us about the work that your case managers did. 
Yeah, so basically the population that we worked with uh, identified folks who have mental health issues, um, substance use disorders, uh, and both. So, so kind of a comor comorbidity. So, you're exactly right. So we so would only those, but they had to have those diagnoses in order to enter into working with your case managers. Uh huh. Okay. Well, coupled with the experience of many different incarcerations, uh, so the risk of recidivism was high for these folks. So not only did they have mental health and wellness uh, issues, but also their likelihood to come back to uh, the you know. Uh, jail or, or prison was was high and is was there a correlative factor between that mental health and issues and recidivism uh, great question um, so short answer no okay. uh, the determining factors of when a person recidivates are and recidivism is just returns to incarceration sure after yeah being released. Okay, yeah yeah sorry I didn't clarify no, that you're fine. Um, so things like age, okay. uh, number of arrests and the age of your first arrest okay. are things that heavily, um, weigh into uh, a person's likelihood to recidivate. Okay. And so mm -hmm. when we talk about age, are we talking if they were arrested multiple times before adulthood or right in that adolescence adulthood phase? The earlier, the more indicative that they're going to uh, recidivate later on in life. Gotcha. So, so they participated in the juveniles delinquent system? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you're exactly right. So yeah, that is a huge red flag for us. Okay. That if you even if you get arrested one time at the age of eighteen, mm -hmm. that severely puts you in a, a category um, above a person who's, you know, in their forties got arrested four times. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's it evens or is more heavily weighted in that person who was younger. Okay. And so this was a, an intervention program to mitigate that recidivism. Mm -hmm. You're okay. exactly right. Yeah, I mean, it's expensive. Okay. Jail's expensive. For sure. Um, and folks who uh, are experiencing, um, you know, incarceration and, and leaving uh, custody, uh, they don't exactly have the best coping mechanisms or are knowledgeable about the... Um, uh, you know, the hospitalizations and, and what, where to go to if you're not feeling well. The overall factors that we would try to uh, intervene with is education about where to go if you're not feeling well mentally. So advocacy and resources, maybe? Exactly. Okay. So what, what are some community resources for mental health that you would turn to or you would have your, your clients turn to? Yeah, so great question. So Basically, our interventions uh, included setting up like primary care, okay. um, you know, care coordinators. Right. Okay. Um, so I know this isn't necessarily like a specific resource, but these are the things that, um, you know, these are folks who are uh, a little bit behind the average person. So sending them off to a resource is a big ask because they may not have these skills yet to do those sort of navigating pieces on their own. So you're not just giving them a brochure and going, hey, this is where you would go if XYZ thing happens. We're setting them up with kind of a, a coordination of care to be able to make sure that once they get out into the community, they check in with someone other than their PO or whatever 
to be able to have those resources. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah, okay. It makes total sense. Okay. And you're exactly right. A brochure, you know, it's, it's not the best intervention. Fair. It's an yeah. intervention that works, though, because I will say, in my experience working at the Downtown Division of Vocational Rehabilitation mm-hmm. Office, I would have uh, individuals who just were dropped off at that corner. Mm-hmm. There's a corner down in downtown Albuquerque where they drop people off yeah. the prison. Mm-hmm. So they get dropped from that prison, they have this brochure, and they come straight to our office Wait, and say... Prison or metro? Either one. Okay. Um, wow. So, yeah. And so then they come and say, hi, my PO said I need to come here immediately. And oh, they would have our brochure. Sure. Okay. And we were like, we're your first stop. Okay, we'll get your case started. We'll get you we'll get you going. Um, but in that process, what I discovered was they didn't have photo IDs. So mm. we couldn't get, you know, cases opened. They didn't have transportation to come back for follow-up appointments. They didn't have a lot of resources. So it's very, it was a very hard thing. I thought it was great that they were like, I'm here. Yeah, it's like great, fantastic. Yeah. But we need these things in order to get you going. So it sounds like your program. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And and having a PO and that is definitely some incentive to go mm-hmm. and follow up. Um, that accountability piece and someone that you know you have to check in with consistently yeah, after sure. release. For folks who are not a part of the probation system, um, handing them a brochure is it's it's. It doesn't give them all the necessary tools, sure. but um, it gives them something. A brochure is something. I'm not saying that's not a bad intervention, but... But I can also for... imagine it also gives them anxiety. Right. Oh, absolutely. And because if they don't have the, the care coordination outside of the incarceration system, mm-hmm. um, it can feel very overwhelming to be like, okay, cool, I've got this fucking brochure, but now what? Well, that's what I was just going to say. I have this brochure for this one thing. Right. Now what the fuck do I do? How right. do I get a place to live? How do I get a photo ID? Where do I go to get bus passes? How am I going to get a job? Because my PO wants me to apply for five jobs by like the end of next week. Sure. And I, I don't know how to do that. But yeah. I have this one brochure. And that is not an exaggeration. No, it's not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and really, the fact of the matter is, when you go through the judicial process, no one's holding your hand. Right. And no one's explaining to you. And, and, and for many of the folks that we work with, you know, their level of education and, and literacy um, is not high. Right. So we're just trying to help them navigate the simplest processes. Mm-hmm. You know, a- attending court, right. a- going to your PO. Sure. Um, because those things are confusing. I mean, and it could happen within a, within a 24-hour period. You get, uh, you know, arrested, you put in jail, and then you get released, and then you have all these responsibilities. And it was not uncommon for a person to be released from jail to say, like, uh, I don't need any help. Uh, I did everything I needed to. And then, you know, I would review their kind of situation, and I would say, you know, it's, it's far from the truth. Aww. You know, this is the first step. And, and really what my explanation to a lot of folks who were coming out of custody was this is a step process. You know, I'm not here to, to judge whatever happened or allegedly happened, but this is the first step in the process to resolve what you need to be, what needs to be resolved for you in your situation. How would you assess uh, a mental health need mm. um, if we're looking at, at an arrest and a situation and, and looking at that, that very short process to then kind of assess um, a diagnosis or what kinds of mental health um, 
concerns there are? Great question. And, and it's, a, it's a question that, you know, it was a process that wasn't exactly refined 100%. So we gotta we gotta think about how many people get arrested per day, sure. um, and the state that they're in. So a lot of these assessments occur, um, like the mental health state. Uh huh. <laughs> okay. Exactly. So you you arrest somebody who's in uh you know just went through maybe a traumatic event, um, sure. has to answer these questions, maybe is not sober. Um, and that's kind of all they have to go off of. Sure. So uh, assessments occur pretty pretty quickly after their arrest. So the assessments weren't done by my team, but it was done by the uh, the medical group who oversees um, the larger operation at the jail. Okay. So uh, they you know the process is kind of they get arrested, they get assessed downtown if they're deemed not well enough to go to jail, then they get sent to the university hospital, and then they're stabilized, and then eventually they'll, they'll come to jail. So these assessments happen pretty quick. It's all pretty rapid. Um, you know, there's a, there's a wide variety of, uh, of questions that, that ask about your mental health and your, and your state, um, you know, and it really is up to the person to answer truthfully. And right. if they don't answer truthfully, that's that's all we can really go off of. And so if they're in a compromised state, if they are in shock, if they are intoxicated, intoxicated or somehow mm -hmm. impaired, mm -hmm. um, if they're still really angry or whatever's going on, yes. uh, I can imagine the likelihood to cooperate is not, it, like it varies so widely. I mean, it's easy to imagine many different situations sure. where a person is just not wanting to be forthcoming in there. They just don't give a fuck. They're like, you're just like, I don't, I don't fucking care. Mm -hmm. Okay, don't fucking care and don't look at me, right? Yep, okay. exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's true. I mean, our, where I work downtown, we kind of shared a wall yeah. where we would hear these assessments or, or folks who were not in a great state and we can only imagine what was being said sure. beyond that, but it wasn't, Probably wasn't pleasant to the folks who were working there. Right. So yeah. I can imagine the turnaround of, of those individuals is pretty high. Or... Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I mean, really, where we live, um, we we have a pretty dire situation of, of folks who, you know, are coming in and out of the system pretty frequently, for for a multitude of reasons, whether it be. Um, they're not stable mentally, whether it be drugs. Uh, there's, there's just a, many different uh, reasons why a person would be incarcerated. And there's this fine line, right? So you want to respect a person's, um, you know, civil rights to be in and out of jail as, you know, quickly as possible mm -hmm. to respect their, their civil rights. But then you also have this X factor of they might just come back. You know, and and we, and you know, I have my own philosophy in, in thinking of when jail is an appropriate solution and when it isn't. Sure. Mm -hmm. And and for a lot of folks who are suffering from substance use or mental health issues, in my opinion, jail is just not. 
the answer for, for all to, to blanket that solution. It's not the rehabilitation process that you would elect or choose or, or deem appropriate. Right. And, and there are programs that are that are coming up and, and have been established for many years that, that try to reach out to those folks. But, you know, it's it's kind of a another balance thing where you have to get arrested to be in that system to get that help. And then sure. that takes away some other options. And it's just a, it's a very complicated um, system for me. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I worked in it for several years. And I can only imagine if it's your first time being arrested trying to navigate this. And, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there in front of somebody and trying to explain, you know, like, hey, this is what's going to happen. And then they're like, I have no idea what any of that means and what that means to me and my family and, you know, beyond my job, you know, my education. How does this all, how does this all matter to me? And, uh, you know, sometimes I have to sit down and, and be, be truthful with the person and, and sometimes that's hard. Mm-hmm. I can imagine. Mm-hmm. I can imagine that's super challenging. Because, you know, to your point, there's, it's not just one issue, right? Like, you see them at, at this point of being arrested, um, but also recognizing that there are larger systemic issues at play. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's education, it's environment, it's, it's substance abuse, it's behavioral health. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of different things that have come to this kind of pinnacle moment where now you're in this system. Right. Um, and so obviously, you know, you worked in a, in a team that wanted to assess and create uh, an ease of transition or at least a, a more informed transition right. uh, to be able to advocate for these individuals to get the help that they needed so that it does not become then another system that they become a part of uh, in, in a longer term way. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked with uh, a lot of court mandated counseling humans um, who had to come and, and seek out therapy for uh, substance abuse or um, anger or different things. Um, and so it definitely gives you a, a unique perspective um, because I'm not in any way part of that judiciary system. I'm part of a system of like, okay, well, how do we assess how to help you as the human being that you are? but also to maybe keep you from making the kind of choices that put you in that position. Right. Um, and so what I heard you say is like a, a case manager. Yeah. Um, and then other humans to kind of help them navigate that system and process. Yeah, you know, I, I think one of the most effective, um, you know, approaches that we had was education. Okay. Um, because sometimes our interventions were months long. Sometimes they were a singular event. Okay. So whenever, you know, I as a case manager would, would uh, meet with a person and I know that maybe they had a, a substance use issue um, and I only had one time to meet with them, my focus was their safety. Okay. So um, there are studies that indicate that the first two weeks after being released, your morbidity rate is just 13 times higher than that of a normal person. So that two-week period, and oftentimes this is um, contributed because a person's uh, 
what's the word, um, tolerance mm -hmm. for drugs mm -hmm. has been significantly lowered. Right. So they're heavy user, you know, they were using before they were arrested. They go to jail for an extended period of time. So they have to kick in jail. Exactly. Okay. Yep. So they're not using while they're in, in custody or not using as often. Let's, mm -hmm. let's be honest. Um, <laughs> there is use in the jail. There, realist, right? there is. Right. Um, so, so their tolerance drops dramatically. They get out of jail. They're, well, you know, I was using this amount before I was arrested. I'm going to use that same amount because that's, that's what I do. Sure. So it happens. Overdoses happen. So we would educate about, you know, Narcan. Uh, that's a nasal spray that reverses the effects of uh, an opiate overdose. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we would talk about, you know, uh, AA groups around the town, uh, the city, uh, how there's, I mean, AA is great. Um, I love how, how flexible the schedule is for a lot of folks. It's not for everyone, um, but a lot of folks are into it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so we would give that education. So really, it just depended on the focus of the amount of interventions we had um, for a singular person. You know, there, there's, there's a lot of ways to approach this. I mean, obviously, we can kind of start this, this discussion like, hey, you know, when you get out of jail, there's going to be a lot of temptations to use. If you're going to use, please know that there's a real chance that you can overdose if you use the same amount that you were using before you were arrested and were in jail and serving this time. Does so, that educational piece, does that help decrease those accidental overdoses and those, those deaths? You know, Does I... Does that help? Was there studies or anything? You know, that's the, that's the hard part. And okay. I would want to say, like, during our discussions, I, I wasn't a part of a study group or anything that was yeah. following these folks in, in before and after their incarceration. But that was one thing that it's really hard with the, with the population that we were working with is they don't really have much by way of resource to even contact them afterwards. Okay. So if I wanted to do a follow-up study, you know, they don't even have a cell phone to do that sort of participation with us. Right. So, um, and to be fair, they've got bigger issues. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, how do I reintegrate into absolutely. my community or not? How do I, um, address the fact that I've got court in two mm -hmm. weeks. I've got to check in with this PO. Mm -hmm. I, an AA meeting sounds great or more of a pain in the ass. Like mm -hmm. there's a whole lot of oh, yeah. processing that happens mm -hmm. and everything has an immediacy to it. Absolutely. Yeah. So you're exactly right. So I, I would, my interventions would take place in and after jail as well. Okay. So uh, mostly after since the whole pandemic thing happened. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're exactly right. When they first get out of jail, we would do our intervention. So we were kind of the first person that they would see. Okay. And we would kind of like, all right, all those planning, you know, ideas that you had while you were in custody, let's kind of organize that, make a plan, because planning is super important. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I've had many clients who left without a plan and then they come back
pretty quickly thereafter. Mm-hmm. So organizing those thoughts um, is really important for, for our folks. And I, I think just in general, for, for people who are kind of coming out of a traumatic event, you know, writing down what you're going to do next. What are your next steps? Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, you can, you can sense it and you can see it on a person when they're, you know, they have all of these worries and, and, and rightfully so. Uh, but, you know, we're there to help them organize those thoughts and kind of make a plan with them and hopefully decrease that anxiety. Because it's one thing that I learned is everyone has anxiety. And they may not have had it before. Sure. Jail's traumatic. It, it's, absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things when I worked with the Division of Vocational Rehabilitation, one of the things that I found, I'm speaking in generalities, is that the, uh, the, the thing that would qualify my, my individuals was PTSD. Yep. But the yeah. PTSD came from being in jail. Yeah. And it wasn't a PTSD where something had happened prior to jail. It was I did something really naughty. And then I went to jail. And then I got PTSD, mm-hmm. and now I'm out, and I don't know. I'm very, very stressed and very, very traumatized, and there's a lot, a lot going on. So that was one thing that I found. The level of anxiety in, in terms of institutionalization is uh, a unique situation because uh, you're kind of stripped of your identity, you're stripped of your humanity, you're all kind of put together. And, and keep in mind, like. I've never had that experience, but I've definitely talked to people who have had that experience. Um, but it, it, it becomes then a, a very significant awareness of survival yeah. and just kind of getting through not even uh, the time that you're there, but the fucking intake process, mm-hmm. right? There's a humiliation mm-hmm. to that. And, and as we talk about, without, without judgment, recognizing not everybody gets there for no reason, right? Uh, yeah. but... Um, there is there is a process to that, um, and and certainly every time you check in with your PO, there's this thought of like I may have to go back, and what's the food gonna look like, and who am I gonna bunk with, and and that one bitch or, or asshole really has it in for me. Like there is anxiety every step along the way, and on top of that, there's sleep deprivation because they're in a, a general place where no one is really quiet. They're all together. There's a fucking toilet in the middle of the room. There's so many things that make it unpleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and part of that is the system. But also then having to, to think about, okay, I, I don't want to be here again, but I may, out, being out might be worse. Right. And so there's, there's a lot to deal with that create that anxiety and create that general sense of, I don't know what the fuck is going to happen. Um, and there's an immediacy to everything. Everything is going to happen right the fuck now. And, you know, the, the shitty part is that some people become very used to that system. And once you've been through it, uh, then you're like, okay, well, I know how to do this. Um, and so then you get used to that. That becomes then more normal or more comfortable than having to get out and navigate the world that we all navigate in and we take for granted. This can be very stressful for people who haven't really been successful at doing it. Right. Right. I mean, there are many things that I want to respond to in what you just said because you nailed it like a lot of good points. <laughs> so the, so the, you so nailed the, it a lot of right. points, baby. You did. I love it. Um, so studies have shown that it doesn't matter if it's 
the 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 length of incarceration does not matter. Mm-hmm. The fact that you were incarcerated yeah. matters. It doesn't matter for six months or a day. That is a huge traumatic event that can last years. Yeah. Um, secondly, uh, I always think about my uh, older clients who have been in and out of custody many, many times. And um, when it came time to get released from jail, mm-hmm. a few weeks out, we'd always have the, discuss- the discussion of what is the plan? Mm-hmm. You know, what? And there was just high anxiety because they know the jail system. They know the routine. Um, side note, I used to work with folks with disabilities and autism. I saw a lot of correlation to the scheduling, the routine, and the way that it lowers anxieties as it, as it did with um, my folks who were, were incarcerated. Because they can have that predictability. Exactly. They, they knew the routine. They knew what time to get up. They knew what time lunch was. They knew what on Thursdays, this is what we eat. Mm-hmm. Like they that kn- predictability creates stability. Right. Well, it creates comfort too. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I know at this time my favorite secure, my favorite guard will be here. That yep. guy's really nice. Yep. He's not a dick like this fucking asshole. Mm-hmm. Picking on it. Yeah, it's. It got down to that specific. Yeah. They knew they were safe if if this person was on duty. And oh I I and and there was an identity to that as well. Like this is who I am. People respect me in this environment. Mm-hmm. But once I get out of here, all of my power is lost. Who am I outside of this? What is my identity outside of being mm-hmm. an incarceration? Because this is my environment. Like that's we go through that when we're leaving high school. In high school, this is yeah. my identity of who I am. I'm a, I'm a jock. I'm a this. I'm a that. Mm-hmm. But my next steps are shit. I don't know why I have to graduate and do what. It's a big change. I see that with the seniors. They start to napalm their life in January. January every year, seniors freak out. Mm-hmm. They just start freaking out. So that's when I do a lot of intervention with my seniors is January and like, okay, these are our steps and this is where we're at and this is what's going to come next and I'm going to meet with every single one of you individually and your parents and we're going to bring it together because we're going to end this on a high note. Well, I think transition in general is is such a, 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 it throws you off kilter, right? And and even though it's, it's, a, it's something you're looking forward to, mm-hmm. obviously we're talking about, you know, people who are incarcerated, the idea of getting out for those of us who've not been in there seems like a great idea. Um, but when you're in it, that's a terrifying idea. Um, because on the one hand, you may not want to come back, but on the other hand, I don't know what out there looks like. Mm-hmm. I don't know what my friends and family are going to be or do. I don't know if, you know, that the one individual who's been calling me and putting money on my books is going to be there the way they've been supportive. Cause I'm in here. Mm-hmm. Um, or even what is that relationship going to be? Are Absolutely. they going to be as supportive of me once I get out as they were when I was in here? Right. Is that going to change? Absolutely. And transition, uh, by its nature, is it throws us off our balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and usually, um, it, it comes with that, that anxiety of, of unpredictability. And I love the idea of creating a plan and talking about it and writing it down and, and structuring it such that um, and we talk about this when we talk about goal setting yeah. is like really setting small measurable goals and attaining those to get to the larger goal. Right. Right. And, and you guys start that weeks before that big transition 
you know, you're, yep, you're exactly right. Good. So our, our kind of formula to, to helping folks is goal creating. Okay. And, um, you know, I liken it to really dissecting and the word is, uh, <laughs> gosh, the word is lost on me, but, um, we have a hard time with our words. It's all good. So I'm going to describe it to you all. Yes, okay. and then we're going to guess. All okay. right. So <laughs> I, I already got the word, but I'm going to do this. Oh, just, but I'm going to do it anyway. Yes. So okay. you have a cake. Yes. All right. Yep. And uh, I have the word, so I want to use the word. But, okay, the cake in its final form, and then you take away each an ingredient. Okay. And you are... Building that cake from each of these ingredients, so you Stretch. have deconstruct. Oh. I I won't torture you guys any longer. <laughs> but we deconstruct these goals. Sure. Right. A lot of folks are like, I want to reunite with my family. Yeah. And that's a totally great goal, and that's something that we encourage if it's healthy, mm-hmm. and if the health if the the family's on board, we of course encourage that. However, we need to deconstruct that because that's a big ask sometimes yeah, with the court system. And, you know, okay, well, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it means that I have a, to attend meetings mm-hmm. or I have to, you know, uh, uh, finalize my judicial system or, or, or situation rather. Um, go to classes for parenting. I mean, and it, it, can, it can involve a lot of stuff, not just... I want to be reunited and have the family that I once had before. Right. Um, so we deconstruct that and, and make it into smaller, more obtainable goals. Just kind of bite-sized pieces. Right. Fun size. Fun size. <laughs> yeah. I, and, and, you know, just, just on, a, on a, a note that, um, you know, we are working with those who are in custody, but I think larger picture we have to also consider those folks who are you know family members mm-hmm. or spouses mm-hmm. of those who were incarcerated um because depending on the gender uh women um if a family member was incarcerated their uh their likelihood to have a stroke or a heart attack increases and that's just... Of the family member? Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. It's the family member's a woman. Right. It increases. So if, like, my husband was to be incarcerated, I would, that would increase my risk of... Right. What? I but know. But again, it goes back to the anxiety. Mm-hmm. And, and even if the, the, the offending crime or whatever wasn't against the spouse... Right. The spouse has to deal with a lot of fallout... Mm-hmm. Um, both from from their partner, but also uh, family, community. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of stress to put on that individual right. for what reintegration looks like. Right. And so that makes sense, it, I mean, it's, you know, just to be frank, it's an embarrassing event, yeah. you know, to have a spouse that was thrown in jail or a family member. I mean, no one wants to start with that. You know, as an icebreaker, like, oh, my husband's in jail. I mean, it's just not, it's, it's, yeah, anxiety-inducing. And, um, and shame and 
uh, a lot of, uh, yeah, there's just a lot that goes with that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then dealing with, because you're absolutely right, there's the incarcerated individual and the systems that they have to go through, but then there's the family members and the systems they have to go through right. to, to remain connected right. with their significant other. Mm -hmm. um, and that is an anxiety producing, very stressful, uh, consistent system that they have to deal with. Right. And then they're dealing with kids, and then, you know, maybe oh this is the primary breadwinner. Right. And yeah. so they've been incarcerated. They pay the bills. The exactly. kids are missing their mom or their dad who's ever incarcerated. The kids don't understand why mom or dad can't come home. Yep. And they're missing and then, birthdays and holidays. And well, then kids start acting out. Right. And we start seeing them messing up in school, start seeing their grades slip, start seeing them ditch, start seeing them get on drug, and it's just a bad fucking overall thing. Just a fucking bad overall thing. So, do you guys do any kind of intervention for with, family members, yeah. or is it just with the incarcerated individual? Well, you know, not so much. Okay. But we do consider it during the planning phase. Okay. So, I, I mean, we here at this table, we know all those factors um, that can come about, uh, you know, being in jail. Sure. Um, but I want to say that this. This isn't necessarily on the forefront of family members' um, uh, minds. If if a if a spouse or a family member uh, was sent to jail, so even the language of talking to your child mm -hmm. about, hey, this is what happened. You know, there are things that we try to educate and say like, might not want to say that. Right. You know, this We're not gonna is be as explicit as all of that. Uh huh. Yeah. 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 I mean. You know, social skills may, may be lacking, so we, we try to, like, you know, have that conversation of, <laughs> of saying, like, you know, how you talk in here is different than mm -hmm. what you would with your family and experience because, I mean, sometimes it's just not appropriate and we have to teach that skill. Well, I think there's also a, a nuanced challenge because, you know, we're all from here and mm -hmm. and we all have privileges that other people haven't had. Mm -hmm. um, but also recognizing uh, culturally, you know, it might be totally appropriate to be like, you know, your fucking uncle like did a thing and this is where we are. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, whereas like all of us at this table right. wouldn't necessarily frame it that way. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Maybe I would though. <laughs> I mean, we, we definitely would euphemize and use different words. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it is it is that awareness too to kind of be like, okay, well, you maybe you may, maybe want to change the language there a little bit, right. uh, but also recognizing like, you know, I I switch very easily between kind of Hood and Harvard. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, raised in the South Valley, but also into Pius. So I, I definitely right. kind of can can go back and forth and, and recognize that, mm -hmm. but. But it is, it's a challenge because we want to give them the best leg up to be able to be successful in not returning, uh, but also kind of without being, I can imagine, you know, and you guys did a good job of like not being condescending and being like, yeah. hey, we don't want to fuck it up again. Like right. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? Uh, truth be told, working with folks and, and them knowing our role to be supportive. Sure. There was a lot of mutual respect between Absolutely. the two um you know 
and, and, and we can feel that. And whenever somebody was being disrespectful, you know, myself in the role that I was as a supervisor, change case managers or just drop them off our list because that is not productive. It's not healthy for either person. Sure. Um, but there, there is just definitely a tonal shift mm-hmm. that, that comes with, hey, you know what? I'm here. This is my role. I'm here to support you. And honestly, <laughs> again, myself supervising a team and having to work with the county and that sort of thing, the clients were the easy part. You know, once they, once they understood my role and that sort of thing, it was never a, a clash. Mm-hmm. It was always like, all right, well, the hardest part was figuring out what resources can you access. Yeah. Right. Not necessarily like, oh, like you're being a pain in my ass, you know, um, but rather, all right, we're starting from ground zero. Yeah. And <laughs> with the, the limited amount of resources, how can we get you to level one? Nice. You know, so I can imagine there was a lot of gratitude from them as well. Just that you were seeing them as a person mm-hmm. and willing to give them the help, resources, connect them with people so that they could successfully get to the place that they they wanted to be. If they're setting the goals, yeah. you're not setting the goals, they're setting the goals. Right. And and that I can imagine is is very um, it's very humbling, but it's also an opportunity for them to, to really lean into that process. Yeah. I mean, oftentimes this is the first time that they had autonomy. Uh-huh. Um, you know, having a person tell you, you got your court date on this day. If you don't show up, you're going back here. You know, uh, you have to follow these rules. No drugs. You're going to take a P test. And if you fail, this happens. We're going to show up unannounced. I mean, yeah. there are people who have lived that life, life for, for many a year. Mm-hmm. And to have somebody come in uh, with just a general dignity and respect for the person, it's it's almost like um, foreign. Yeah. You can see like, well, what, what's what's your end game here? What are you trying to right. get out of what me? Do you want from me? Yeah. So I mean, we just say like, hey, this is this is our purpose. Um, you know, we're not we don't make mon- more money off of your success or non-success um but rather this is this is what we're here for and and once that kind of wall comes down i mean folks are willing and and they're respectful and uh i I mean prior to me working in this field i had no experience working with folks who were who were um incarcerated uh and it was a little bit uh intimidating but Man, did that go away pretty quickly. That's awesome. Yeah. It, I mean, people are people. I work with folks who had their first DWI and they were really scared and they were 18 years old and you're just like, hey, this isn't going to you know, define who you are. And then I've had people who were in their 60s who they were in and out of jail for the majority of their life since they were, you know, able to go to jail. They're <laughs> so, 18 of yeah, the legal age. Exactly. So um, both... Both people, you know, uh, they had issues that we try to work out and do our best with. And, you know, it's just, it's very interesting, you know, I I mean, it affects everybody. And I think your listeners and, and may have not gone to jail themselves, but they probably know somebody who has. Sure. And, 
you know, just the information that we're, we're talking about and the conversations we're having, um, it's just good information to know that, like, it's not, it's not a defining characteristic. I mean, I had colleagues that have been uh, in and out of jail. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we have a few minutes, just like sure. a couple minutes. So what I'm going to ask you, Erin, is if you can pinpoint or pick three things that you uh, have kind of taken away from that job that kind of motivate you moving forward. Yeah, wow. she's totally that is a, yeah, three things. She has the things. world's hardest off here. I'll fill some airspace. No. She has no. the hardest yeah. questions <laughs> ever. Because you did this to me last time, and I was like, ugh. I know. Um, three things. Yeah. So there are resources out there. Awesome. You it. need to just look for them. Google is your friend. Um, I know folks uh, who... Who know folks who know folks who've who've been affected by incarceration and, and that sort of thing. Google is your friend. Type in Google local resources. Um, you know, NM Connected is one. Um, Albuquerque Coordinated Resource Guide is one that's great for caseworkers. Uh, locally here in Albuquerque, you know, obviously you have like NAMI and SAMHSA that are more more national and that sort sure. of thing. Um, so there are resources out there. There are folks who are willing to work with you no matter what your history is. Love it. You know, sex offender, beyond, all those sorts of things. You may think it's a big stigma. People are out there to help you. Um, the second one, moving forward from, uh, you know, I might need you, Kat, to fill in that dead air. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Public health or public administration? Uh, community administration with a focus on mental health and wellness. Okay. So, um, yeah, I would say so. I would, I would definitely say so. I would also say that it was uh, part of the puzzle from my other experiences. You know, I worked with adults with developmental disabilities, children with that. My undergraduate is in education and special education. Um, so, seeing the kind of progression from child to it you know, um, adulthood and how that can all play into education is just such an important thing to avoid jail. Sure. And and um, education from jail is an important thing to avoid jail as well. So, uh -huh. yeah. Um, third thing. thing. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know... I would say that, um, hmm, I think that we take for granted on a foundational level the knowledge that we have and, and how we utilize that. Um, I just say be thankful for, for your education, um, you know, your, your ability to speak to one another in a in a humane, civil way, um, because I've worked with many people who don't have that skill. Um, don't squander it. Don't get upset with uh, your fellow man. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, because there, there are many people out there that just don't have an education or an opportunity like, like you've had in, in, in your past, and be, be thankful that you have those opportunities and, and those abilities and 
um, you know, if you don't, that's fine. People are willing to work with you to, to get you up to speed. And, um, you know, it really put a, it had, it had me reflect on a lot of the things that I'm grateful for in, in my position. And, um, I don't like to compare myself to other people, but, uh, you know, it made me feel very lucky in the situation. And actually it made me feel very lucky that I could help people in that situation more so. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, Aaron. Yeah, you're welcome. I really appreciate this conversation. Yeah, I hope it was um, fun. It was it fun. Was fun. Yeah. We, we did really things. good with our words. We did. <laughs> the articulation this evening was um, bar none. Absolutely. <laughs> All of a sudden, it's back. It was something. <laughs> um, anyway, thank you so much for listening. We are X to the Zenial. If you have any questions, would like to join our podcast, uh, if you want to come on as a guest, uh, it's X, the number two, T-H-E-X-E-N-N-I-A-L at gmail.com. You can also find us at X to the Zenial underscore podcast on Instagram. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great rest of your week, and we will talk to you soon.